This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Welcome back to the Lookout Landing Podcast. Uh, today, we are doing another episode of Why I'm a Mariners Fan. Uh, my name is Matthew Robertson, staff writer and podcaster here at LookoutLanding.com. And I'm very excited to be joined by today's guest. Uh, he is a writer, an editor, a Banner Society member, a Washington State Cougar, and just a general man about the internet. It is Brian Floyd. Uh, Brian, how the heck are you, man? Doing well. I've been chasing a, not chasing, actually, you can't walk, um, holding an infant most of the day, so this is actually a nice break. Oh, wow. I have not been doing anything even remotely similar to that. I feel like you've really earned this uh, little bit of fun while I've just been, you know, dicking around all day. I'm just, I've locked myself in a quiet place and I have no screaming baby for just a few minutes and it's perfect. <laughs> I have also done that, although the baby was never really a concern on my end. But I've, I've quarantined myself from my adult roommate in order to, to make content <laughs> for everyone. Perfect. Yeah, so uh, thank you for taking the time to stop agonizing over Wazoo's defensive struggles or whatever it is you normally <laughs> do during football season um, to talk to a different team that probably makes you equally sad and confused. Um, so I guess, I mean, the people who have heard other episodes of this kind of know what we're doing, where I'm just trying to get to the, the bottom of why people became a Mariners fan, but I think more importantly... Uh, why they've stuck around despite everything that's sort of happened on and off the field with this team. So um, I'd love to just start kind of with the with the beginning, with your origin story. Like, where are you from? How did you become aware of the Mariners? And what made you kind of drawn to them in the first place? So I think I have an origin story that's probably uh, pretty common for a lot of people that grew up around here that are around my age. I'm mid-30s. Um, and it's, you know, you're kind of ingrained with it when – when it's from childhood, um, between Griffey in the late eighties and then into those teams and, you know, what really kind of hard hardened the fandom, I guess, was the the nineties and the refuse to lose Mariners and the runs that they made there are, you know, the most success in the playoffs and probably the most excitement we can point to and then, you know, also happen to save the team and, and things like that. So for me, like it, it's a fairly typical Mariners story where I was a, a fan of the team basically since birth and growing up, and um, it really took hold in my in my teens in the '90s, and then uh, into 2001, and then kind of you know from there it's been interesting. But like in terms of a fan, I used to be um, old Kingdom games were like a treat you'd go to once in a while, and then I also spent a lot of time at the I guess it was the uh, the Tigers and then the Rainiers, but down in Tacoma, um, AAA games were kind of the the entry point for Mariners and especially for some of the younger players for me. Got it. So were you, like, are you from a baseball family? Were your parents, or if you have any siblings, were they into baseball, or was this something you kind of found on your own? Um, so for me, it was my grandparents were retired on my dad's side, and they used to go down to Arizona every year. They would go see spring training in Peoria, and I think I kind of like picked it up through osmosis at some point. And I honestly don't remember where I do remember like watching, listening to games, but it was one of those things where it just kind of, you grow up in Seattle and it's just, it's basically ever present and you realize it's there. And especially when I grew up, like it's hard not to be a fan when the team 
has Ken Griffey Jr. and, you know, for time Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. and players like Randy Johnson and all that. So it was, you know, really at that time. And I think especially in Seattle sports, it was kind of the Seahawks were really bad um, for quite a period there. And the Sonics and Mariners were like the thing when I was growing up. Yeah, I feel like baseball is of the the major sports. It's probably the easiest to be like coerced into just because it's so present for like the entire summer. Like it's very easy to sort of accidentally kind of like watch a few innings of the Mariners or hear it on the radio or like just end up at a game in a way that's much different than other sports. Like you would never like accidentally just kind of like luck, like last minute decide, oh, I'm going to go to a Seahawks game. But with the Mariners, like they're that team that people who don't even really care about sports will go to the game and that can kind of lead to the snowball effect of like oh that was fun let me learn more about the players and the sport and all that in a way that feels very specific to just baseball yeah and it's one of those things too i remember growing up where like it was you know once in a while you could maybe get pulled out of school and go to an afternoon game or you know even with some of the bigger games they would be on the radio in the corner of the classroom because i'm old and that's we didn't have the internet and all that kind of stuff but it was like the Mariners were always kind of looming in the Northwest, it seemed like, especially in the in the 90s and early 2000s, where you just kind of had to pick it up because it was always there, and it was fun, too, at the same time. So, yeah. Totally. I mean, I have a similar uh, origin story just a little later. Like, the, the late 90s, early 2000s was, like, my pretty early childhood, and one of the first memories I have of like being at a big Mariners game and sadly one of the only memories I have of being at like a big important Mariners game was 2000 ALDS my dad pulled me out of school to watch them play the White Sox and that was the game that ended on the Carlos Guillen bunt and it's kind of a bummer in a weird way because I don't really remember it like I wish I had more of a connection to that game other than just seeing and hearing about it and vaguely remembering like being there like I wish my memories were a little more concrete of the Mariners being good because it feels very mythical like Ken Griffey Jr. is literally like a mythical creature to me because I was so young same with you know A-Rod and Randy Johnson but like Edgar became the guy who I'm kind of like I grew up with and then Ichiro was the one who sort of carried Mm it um, through my like I guess mid-childhood or whatever you'd want to call it but that that beginning part is so like kind of overwhelming because like you said the Mariners were so big it's a lot like what I would imagine kids growing up in Washington now are dealing with with the Seahawks where it's like if you don't like them or don't you know know what you're talking about or at least able to hold your own in a conversation people are gonna kind of side at you like what planet is this kid from Um, that's definitely what I remember about being like five six seven years old supporting the Mariners yeah no I I totally agree with that it was like that in you know the the mid-90s and especially when they were well, I guess, you know, when they started, when they actually had their best years when they needed to, um, it just consumes everything. And you see, for me, it's kind of weird because I went to graduate high school in 2003 and then went to college. And, um, you know, even though it was still in the state, it wasn't in Seattle. And you, when I left, it was still Mariners quite a bit. And they'd obviously had the 116 wins and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, you could see the city kind of shift to Seahawks and to the point where I had moved away across country and come back and the Seahawks had won the title on a lot in between. And it was just like, it's all consumed Seahawks like the Mariners were 20 years before. And it was really interesting to see. Yeah. And the, the sad part is now that it's become actually generational. Like there's a whole entire generation of people who don't remember the Mariners ever being relevant. And that's where I think you get into the like tricky sort of institutional problem of like, if a whole generation of people were like 
sort of conditioned to not care or think that they're irrelevant and what that like what is that going to mean for their kids or like the people that they hang out with like i don't obviously think the mariners are gonna die or anything but like the the slow trickle like you said from uh, mariners to seahawks has been pretty fascinating to watch in a way that i don't necessarily like yeah it's it's been really weird to see and i was i was thinking about this related to something else today actually we were talking about the ncaa football game and my question was kind of at what point do you forget like where is the line where a kid comes up and he's a freshman and he does he no longer knows the game because he didn't play it growing up and i think that's the same thing with the mariners where it's like okay you know you don't know a successful mariners if you haven't followed the team uh, almost for like 20 years now you've seen some bits of success and like it's an interesting thing to wonder how you rebuild that and what it takes to kind of repair a gap that, you know, you can't kind of fix organically, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think about that a lot with the Sonics too. Like they're now, you know, like the generational thing comes up again. Like we're getting close to actual, you know, kids that are near high school and having no memories at all of the Sonics being here. And like, it's weird. I realized pretty recently, and this isn't like a big Realization, Like, I'm not trying to act like this is profound or anything, but, like, all Sonic's gear now is throwback gear, which is really sad to realize. Like, I have stuff that I mm-hmm. remember wearing as, like, a modern fit, and then people are like, oh, my God, like, so cool, so retro. Like, no, this is, like, this wasn't even that long ago, but it's become such a, like, relic because of how much time has elapsed. And with the Mariners, like, there is sort of that weird, like, hipstery thing now where it's, like, if you really, really like the Mariners and kind of like, you know, prioritize them over the Seahawks. You're like that, that sort of contrarian on purpose sort of Seattle sports fan. I feel like I, I have an immense amount of respect for that. If you're serious about it though, because you look at someone who is like into the Mariners fan, into the Mariners and following them closely, following every game. And it's like, you are dedicated. Like that's not an easy thing to do. And it becomes harder as the team gets worse to keep coming back. And that's where I kind of like with the question with the overall podcast question where like it did cause that existential crisis for a minute for me. Cause I was like, you're right. Why do we like these sports teams that just are not good? And I don't really know. Like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's easy to bandwagon the Seahawks. It's not easy to just jump on board with the Mariners and try to be a big time fan, especially right now. Right. And this has come up in the past episodes for sure. Like it's sports is, so specific in this way where like it's if the the returns aren't providing you happiness like why are you still involved in it like any other thing literally anything else in life if you were to tell someone like yeah I do this every year you know I used to really like it but now it's been making me very sad or very angry or very existential for 18 years now people would just tell you to stop doing it but there's that weird like sort of guilt almost when it comes to sports and I'm sure like it's a little different for college sports, obviously, because that's more a part of your life. But I'm sure like Wazoo fandom and Mariner fandom are kind of cousins in a way, right? Where it's like Ooh, you kind yeah. of have that that thing in the back of your head where you're like, I know this probably isn't going to go well, but I'm still excited every time the season rolls around. It's really weird. And it's it's an interesting thing going from like Seattle sports to Washington State because it's a great like, you know, Washington fans have good success on the field and are fairly consistent other than some dark times in the mid 2000s but like you, you really don't see sustained and expected success with with the mariners now and you know in some ways wazoo they, they do well they're struggling a little bit this year but like it's hard to kind of 
stick with it when it's just you never you you have that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you're always going to like come around the corner and get run over by a bus as a fan of these teams where like the success is not guaranteed and you know i think if you were to tell me in 2001 that okay well here's how the next 18 years are going to play out for a mariners fan i just laugh at you right (laughs) and then you know now you're sitting here like wait what how did we go from there to here and you know how do we go from essentially like fairly consistent six years to just nothing right this is the part where it always gets kind of therapeutic because you're like trying to remember that the happiness that was attached to it can come from other things and like you deserve to be happy in ways that aren't necessarily (laughs) dependent on the results of a sports team you know but it's so inherent once you have a taste of it like you have the 01 Mariners or you have a wazoo rose bowl team or whatever and now you're like i kind of have that memory tucked away where you're like oh, i remember that feeling i would like it again but realizing that you can sort of circumvent it and find other ways to kind of replicate it without having the actual on-field success is such a tough thing to navigate because it's all any of us want like that's sort mm-hmm. of the shittiness about sports is it's pretty binary like you either win or you lose and that either results in happiness or sadness. So for the last 18 years, you know, Mariner fans have been trying to find, like, little things to hold on to, especially when it felt like we were going to get there with Cano and Cruz, and then mm-hmm. that kind of fell apart, and now it's really just a completely different team. Like, that one felt like almost like they were, I don't know, like, it was edging a little bit, where you're like, you're so close, but I can't actually finish. Mm-hmm. This is like something we think about a lot in college football too, because there's a hundred something teams or whatever, and only one's going to win every year. And most of the time, like if you're looking at data and stuff like that and how rosters are built, like there's only a few teams that are legitimately contenders every year and you can pretty much spot them from the beginning. And so how do you, as a fan of one of these other teams, define your own success every year, every game, whatever else um, is an interesting thing that we always wrestle with in college football but also in a lot of these other sports where you're like yeah we're just gonna be bad this year so what do i care about and sometimes it's like win a game if you're talking about a football team just one that's all we care about right and like that's success or my biggest measure of success usually in my like fan mantra is i don't really care if my teams are good or bad as long as they're not boring and so like i'll take a bad team that'll take me on a roller coaster ride for three hours or four hours a night or whatever else um or a good team that does that but like if you have a just a meh boring fan experience it's a lot harder to actually care um and then i think the other parts of that too that you mentioned is like it's the side quest so it's like okay well i want felix hernandez to do well so i'm gonna root for that or i want you know to see improvement from this player so i'm gonna root for that and you really just start making almost a checklist as a fan of like things that you're looking for. And you're kind of just playing fantasy, baseball, football, basketball, whatever with yourself with no stakes. And that's kind of a fun way that I look at fandom and, and try to keep my interest in things that, you know, maybe they're just going to be sad and we know the result will be sad, but there's ways to find like interesting or happiness in them. Right. Yeah. I had the idea for this entire podcast series, like during the 2019 Mariner season where you kind of mentioned this idea, but like they were bad by design. It was very clear from the beginning of spring training, even that they were going to suck. So then you have to sort of grapple with like a whole season of caring while not caring too much because that'll only lead you to a dark place. So I'm curious, um, 
Like, how, where are you with the Mariners right now? Like, after they sort of tore the whole roster down, what did that do for you as a fan? Were you invested this year? Were you kind of, like, taking a year off? Because I feel like that's totally a normal thing to do when you look at you look at this uh, this year's team and probably next year's team, too. It's an easy time to kind of check out. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a gap year. Um, and, like, it's not something where I fully check out. The only time that I ever really kind of was forced to fully check out was living on the East Coast. And that was mostly because it was incredibly hard to like follow. So, you know, when games are starting at 10-10 and you're trying to follow them, like it's almost impossible to follow the team. But at least here when they're bad, I can kind of, you can pay attention, you can pick it up when they get on kind of a roll and follow along for a while. Or you can just kind of like show up to a game if you need cheap entertainment at this point um, and, and do what you need to there. But like, my fandom is fairly low and apathetic, which I think is fairly normal around here on the Mariners right now, just because it, you can only do so much when like the team fully admits and rightfully that they're just going to be bad. And I appreciate that they set, they set the expectation because like, yeah, you know, I understand what we're looking at and can kind of pop in and out, but I also like, it's not the best time to invest, you know, the limited amount of time we already have into just like hardcore following all the time. Yeah. And I think this was a big year too, for Mariner fans trying to find that, that checklist that you talked about where it's like, Mm -hmm. obviously the wins aren't going to be there. So what do you care about? And, you know, this year was a lot of player development, which can also be kind of a frustrating thing to follow because as we know, especially in baseball, as we know, it's hardly ever linear. Like your guy can have, one really good game and then 10 terrible ones. And if they're a pitcher, then, you know, that's even worse because it makes their numbers look awful. So, I mean, I had to do that as well because I was never really a minor league guy. I'm still not a minor league guy at all. I just don't have really the time or, frankly, the interest in minor league baseball. But (laughs) it's kind of something you had to do because, like, that's the whole sort of direction of this team now is preparing for Jared Kalanick and Julio Rodriguez and Logan Gilbert and guys who, you know, four or five years ago, like, I would have known their names, like whatever the equivalent of they of them were four or five years ago. But this year I was actually like trying to find clips. And, you know, thank you to Kate Prusser, who runs like a landing, who does a great job of sort of getting fans excited about the minor leagues, because that was really the only option. Like it's so devastating to turn on a Mariners game, knowing there's a hundred more, seeing where they are in the standings, seeing that they're losing. And then the thing that you mentioned, the horribleness of kind of realizing that they're boring, like at least when the prospects come up, they're going to be probably very green, very um, probably just flat out bad in some respects at the beginning. But that's going to do a lot, I think, to revitalize people's interest in the team is having just the beacon of hope. And it's not just we have nine 32 year olds who are playing out the string. It's now we have nine 24 year olds who are actually building towards something like what the Cubs have done recently or the Astros or something like that. And that's also the fun thing in sports too, even when the team's bad, like the one thing that we can always kind of cling to is hope and potential. Even if you haven't seen the player or, you know, any of that kind of stuff is like, this was always the thing in football where the backup quarterback's always the most popular person on campus because there's always potential there. And the Mariners are like the living embodiment of that in a lot of ways right now, where it's just an iceberg. You see the team up top, but like, the actual excitement and, you know, to your point, like if you're really following the team, it's actually all below the surface. Most of it is right now. And it's a little bit harder to follow, but you can also, you know, I remember when the Mariners were trying to build out some of those really good teams, 
you do get to kind of be the hipster where you're like, okay, I saw this person, you know, before they were big, or I saw this person in Tacoma, or, you know, I was following this person and know who they are. Um, as long as it actually does pan out and you're not just following prospects for, oh, I don't know, 17, 18 years, um, it's good. But like, this is the time at least where you can, you can look at how they're doing and you can rationally convince yourself in a good way that like, okay, here's this potential and you start to kind of paint in your head what three, four years from now looks like. And like, you know, at least now that can give you some hope for a while. Now, if it's not realized after a certain period, it's going to get real frustrating. But like, I like that being able to just kind of look at a player and realize, okay, they're going to develop into something we think. And like, this is the potential that we're working with. And it could be really cool to see. Right. Do you have like a favorite Mariner prospect right now? Are you following the minor leagues at all and like trying to get excited about that? Or are you pretty detached from all things 19 year old baseball? I, I wish that I had the time to, and I don't. So I just like parachute and pay attention to things. But like, that's the hardest thing about like going from, you know, now that I, it's like parenting and doing all this other stuff where I'm like, it's really hard to follow along, not just the games at the, at the major league level, but then like everything going on at the surface. And so I usually just end up parachuting in right now and paying attention or also just like checking in when rosters expand toward the end of the season and stuff like that. But I just don't have enough time. I wish I did. <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. That's a, I really have a lot of respect and admiration for people who can, like follow the Mariners and all six of their minor league teams at the same time. I don't really understand how anyone has the brain capacity for that, to be quite honest. No, and it's always, it's, it's fun to watch players come up though. And I think that especially as a lot of them start to pan out, they get closer to Seattle and distance too. It gets a lot easier. Like the fun thing for me is I live down closer to Tacoma and it's probably easier for me to just go watch a game down there and be more entertained for cheaper at the moment than it is to, going to Seattle, go to a Mariners game, no idea if you're actually going to get entertained, like that kind of thing. Minor league baseball and the expectations that it sets are probably a good analogy for Mariners fandom right now. You're kind of rooting to see a good game and the results kind of don't matter and you just want to see some individual performances. Yeah, we had a kind of that problem just amongst Lookout Landing was like trying to figure out who's actually going to watch this game and recap it like because we had to you know we had to subject ourselves to some pretty bad experiences but like I had the whole range like I remember there was you know games where it was 10 nothing by the third inning the Mariners Mm -hmm. were down and then I had one game where I cleared a whole Friday night. I was like, guys, I can take the recap. It's fine. And then Mike Leak took a perfect game into the ninth inning. And I was like, this is just the most 2019 Mariners experience we could have had because even, even like the good things didn't really last. Like Mike Leak didn't throw the perfect game. They didn't continue on the 13 and two start and all that. It was just like mm-hmm. the rug getting pulled under your feet all the time. And so you had to write about a bunch of these games. And I remember doing this with Washington state too, during the Paul Wolf years when it was bad. So Mm -hmm. what was your, what was your most memorable recap that you did about a bad game? Like good games are good, but sometimes the most creative things that you do or the most interesting, interesting things you see are just when you're stuck following a bad team and you have to come up with something despite, you know, it being 10 0 after two innings. Exactly. Yeah, that was the whole year. I mean, there was two that mm-hmm. I remember sort of specifically. One of them is kind of recency bias because it was, I think, the second to last game of the year. Um, the Mariners 
were playing the A's and they lost one to nothing. It was a game that went by in like two hours, thankfully. So it wasn't like the, you know, slog of a nine to eight, five hour game. But um, the A's, <laughs> the A's have this guy uh, named Mark Canna. Are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I decided to just write the recap um, from the angle of it being a poem by him because he has like a very <laughs> sort of like poemy kind of vibe. Like he's a white dude with like, enormous sideburns who went to Berkeley and like he does this thing that the reason why I started to kind of like sports hate him is because whenever they're here like in Seattle he'll wear like a full like ski suit like he wears I think it's like a balaclava is the actual Mm -hmm. term for it but he wraps his entire body as if it's 30 degrees outside and it's maybe like 55 with a light breeze and he acts like it's Siberia so I just had this whole image in my head of him being like kind of insufferable and like would be the kind of guy who would write poetry so I did that for like a just a full recap because the Mariners didn't do anything of note in that game so I just like had him sort of tell the story of the game from his like waspy angle on it which was pretty fun the worst one in terms of a blowout was there was a game in like probably July or August in Anaheim where uh, Trout and Otani and someone else probably Cole Calhoun hit back-to-back-to-back home runs off Kikuchi, and it was just like, oh, my God, this is a little too <laughs> on the nose, maybe, of, like, the the Japanese player that we landed getting kind of rocked by the one that we missed out on, and then Mike Trout, who just pretty much exists to make the Mariners' life hell. Like, that one was another one that just stands out from I have to actually, like, sit here and, you know, kind of, like, glue my eyes open so I wouldn't fall asleep or check out because it's so hard, I think, to watch the, the boring blowout. Like, that's easily the worst brand of game in any sport and having to do it over and over again like the ones that are memorable are the ones where you have Shohei Otani or some like actual player with a narrative attached to them doing things it's it's such a it's not just hard to watch too but like you said it's hard to write about where it's like okay I got to come up with something to say about these teams that I just keep seeing getting blown out every night basically which can be you know terrible but can also be fun in the ways that you mentioned where it's like, okay, I'm going to write about poetry here, or I'm going to, we started writing fiction about Washington state games because the reality was just not good. And so we would write complete fiction stories that weren't about football at all, but were about walking through forests or things like that. So like, that's the, the part where at least, you know, and this is blending from fan to like have to pay attention and cover the team where it can at least get fun and you have to like challenge yourself to, find the interesting in the bad and you know if you can't find that then it gets like then you start really questioning what you're doing exactly and the thing that makes it hard for baseball at least from my perspective is uh the fact that you're playing the same team multiple nights in a row so like you know you they kick your teeth in on friday and you're like oh saturday sometimes even a better pitcher is throwing and then sunday they have this other guy who's good and it's like this is mostly just describing like the astros or the yankees or the really good teams but those are the ones where it's like I would love to just not pay attention to baseball at all for the next three days because I know that nothing positive is going to happen. And I guess you don't really have that with football, especially where it's just one a week and it, you know you lose to a team, you don't see them again until next year. But with baseball, they literally can come back 12 hours later and do the same thing again. So you wake up and you're like, do we really have to do this again the next day? <laughs> especially with the it's division also- teams. They're, they seem like they never go away. And it's infuriating now that the Astros and the A's are two of the better teams because it seems like we play them 90 times a year. This is also the, like, this is the spot where we want to take a season ticket holder and be like, that goes to every game. Like, how do you do this? 
Like, how do, how do you go to a game one day and get your teeth kicked in and then come back the next day and you're like, all right, let's do this again and, and do that for 81 games a year? Yeah, I'm certainly too cynical, I think, to do that. But, I mean, I've talked to a lot of those people when I'm at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my dad has, like, he does the classic, like, share season tickets with five of his friends or whatever. So sometimes he'll just throw me the tickets. And I end up sitting next to another guy who has, you know, who's there every single game. And he just has such a different, like, outlook on the sport as I do. Like, he has the the way to, like, sort of laugh at the badness that I don't really have. Like, I'll get more sad or like just start to you know not pay attention that's when i'll go to the team store or go get another beer or whatever but he'll just sit there and kind of like you know have an anecdote about oh he swung at that same pitch on thursday night ha 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 it's like dude like i like how you're like trying to reframe this but i don't want to watch someone swing at a pitch in the dirt over and over again like how i think people have people especially who maybe aren't online as much have such a more pure outlook on the world that i'm struggling to find where it's like i don't want to subject myself to badness you know it's the just log off theory. right like if it's so bad just stop paying attention but these season ticket holders they are they're they're in it man they're the real heroes i think of the the 2010 mariners as a decade it's incredible like i have the utmost respect for people that <laughs> that do that even though i'm like well it's it's more like a wisdom thing i'm like all right if you can find the pleasure in this bad every game and you're just like i'm happy to be at a ballpark and watching baseball that's great like you found baseball peace what was your like peak as a mariners fan not in terms of like you know the team Mm -hmm. was the best but like when you had the most investment in it and like we're getting sort of the most out of it was it i'm sure it's the the team the years and the team is successful but is there like a specific moment or an era maybe or a player even who you like really remember as like your guy who you know caused the mariner fandom to really spring that i mean for me it was those 90s teams and it was griffey and it was like i remember going through a rod coming up and the betrayal of a rod leaving and people calling him pay rod and throwing money and all that and like there was just such a and and same thing with like you know not leaving but randy johnson and all the just cast of characters that were in the 90s it was it's a thing i think that the mariners were trying are trying to replicate now by like okay get to know the players or your friends but like when the team was good and clicking and you had all of these players that were you know either great in terms of um on the field or big personalities like it just creates a connection with the team so it it, for me it took hold you know my peak Mariners fandom was probably still the double and seeing um you know the the refuse to lose Mariners and the comebacks there in the mid 90s and you know I think that's the thing that still sticks with me and it still sticks with me that the the rest of the things around the game. So it was for me growing up, it was Dave Niehouse and it was the radio calls and it was just kind of the whole world of the Mariners there. And it's different. I think now, like you would mention, you know, everything being so online, but like at the time there, it was, you, you did listen to the radio and you listened to, you know, it was a lot slower burn and you weren't always, it wasn't always baseball, 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 but you would just tune into a game and go with it. So yeah, I guess my peak is probably in my teen or early teens, early, you know, ages as the Mariners were also good. It was just perfect timing for like a kid my age in, in Seattle. And really the, the dumb, stupid cliche answer is Griffey. It's being around in that era when he was coming up at the age he was and where I was, you know, as a kid. And I got to see his, his whole career here and all that. Like, 
that's the thing that really takes hold. And it was a, a really special thing to watch that entire time. You, you, he was the player that, you know, like we talked now, you need to find something that kind of to latch onto or that are, that's going to entertain you no matter what, like Griffey would deliver there. He may be crashing into a wall and making a highlight reel catch or getting hurt doing that or hitting home runs. But like you would go to a game and Griffey was your must see. He was always going to do something. And that was special. Yeah, and I think the fear is that we're not going to have that player again. Like, mm-hmm. that is such a, a huge force is having, like, a singular presence like Ken Griffey, who's nationally famous, which is also another thing that's not really a thing anymore with baseball players. Like, I mean, it's been talked about to death, but, like, Mike Trout can just blend in at any gas station in America. And you mm-hmm. wonder, like, what's it going to take for the Mariners to, like, re- spark that that feeling of like oh this is our guy he's gonna bring people to the stadium he's gonna make the Mariners relevant on a national level and like the hope is that it's you know either Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kalanick or I guess there's a chance that we get some big free agent that comes right around the time that the rebuild is starting like is starting to take shape but I think like obviously we have a similar parallel I think with Russell Wilson where he's the one who's gonna get a bunch of kids into the Seahawks and into football the same way that Griffey did with baseball. But I would love to sort of have the the Mariners thing come full circle because my peak was, I mean, it's really the, I guess you'd call it the Cano era. That's when I was watching the Mariners mm-hmm. the most, 2014 to 2018. And it's pretty amazing that they never even got like dumb luck one time. Like you would think <laughs> that eventually they would have like, the thing that the Seahawks or the Sounders have. Like when I was watching those games this weekend, the Sounders win the MLS Cup and the Seahawks beat the 49ers. It's like you realize how many things have to go right to win a game. Like the Seahawks mm-hmm. benefit from the missed field goal and, you know, the Sounders scored their first goal on an own goal. And you're like, why don't the Mariners ever have just one of these moments? Like I think it's funny that one of the bigger memories for a lot of fans, one of the like cherished ones in recent years was uh, game 161 in 2016 where the Mariners are playing the A's at home. They just need to win to have a chance to stay in the playoff race. And it's like a back-and-forth game, really similar to that Seahawks 49ers game from Monday night. But (laughs) the Mariners lose that game. Like, that's the thing that kind of remains funny to me about all that (laughs) is it's, like, such a memory. Nelson Cruz hits, like, an amazing home run, like, storybook kind of stuff. And then the Mariners end up losing. But it's still, like, this really defining moment of an entire era I think like how you have sort of the unbridled joy of like oh my god we're gonna make it you know Nelson Cruz is amazing to you know an hour later the game is over and the season is over I feel like we we probably burnt this reminds me of like the late season stuff we probably burnt all our karma on the one game playoff with Luis Soho hitting the ball under bench in the 90s like oh yeah that was probably the generational thing where we used up every single ounce of magic and we're still paying for it now and like, so you're talking about, you know, why don't things break right? And I actually saw them break right in a, in a one game playoff and, and before the one game playoffs, like were a real thing. And, you know, it's a, it is a generational difference now where you're like, man, you don't expect anything to go right. But I also, you know, I got to see it go right once and it was incredible. Well, then you also have to start wondering how much that will affect the players. Like you think about not only guys who have been with the Mariners for their whole career, um, but also people who have grown up following baseball like now the people who are in the big leagues also are having a tough time remembering when the Mariners were good Mm -hmm. you have to wonder like it's like getting drafted by you know the Browns as sad as it is to say like you don't if you don't have sort of any uh like frame of reference for this team being good 
you feel like it'd be almost natural to kind of fall into like this defeatist mentality of like, oh shit, I'm on the Mariners, like really? And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of professional athletes are professional athletes because they don't think like that, but you have to, like it crosses their mind, you would imagine. Yeah, no, it's like, a, it's a, it's a, the, the stunning realization for me this year, and it wasn't like, it's not a revelation or anything, but when the Nats won, it was like, well, not only they made the World Series and won, I was like, it reminds you that the Mariners are still over here and now they're over here alone. And they've been over here alone, you know, forever at this point. Um, or not forever, but they're, they're sitting here without even a World Series appearance. They haven't even lucked into one. And you're like, is this just a cursed franchise at this point, right? Like, and it's not one of those things where you actually believe it's a cursed thing or whatever else, but you do wonder if the bad luck snowballs, like you said, and you're just stuck in a cycle of, bad and if it's ever going to get better and you know honestly i have no idea what causes it either it's like things went so well and then everything just fell apart and has never gotten better and you know the amount of the amount of bad it takes to be bad for this long without even lucking into something seems you know really demoralizing absolutely and i was gonna ask you about the nats thing glad you brought that up like Mm -hmm. seeing um not only, I think, seeing the Nats do it as the only other team who had never been to the World Series, but doing it as, like, a severe underdog, did that, like, inspire hope in you, or was it the other way where you kind of resent them for now, like, taking away um, the shared thing that we had, where it's now they're, they're that person who is on the same level as you who then, like, has a glow up, and you have to, like, wonder, am I supposed to be happy for them, or do I kind of hate them now? So I'm I'm happy for him, but that's also a personal thing because I lived there for a couple of years and would go to games once in a while, and like it was just a, you know it's cool to see that. But also like to your point, I it's it's tough. It was at first I was like, oh man, the Mariners are like stuck and they haven't been to the World Series and that's half. But also I'm like, look man, if they can do it, like fine, there is hope for everyone to be able to like you know put it together and and get to that point so it was more hope for me and it's also cool to see someone new win it's cool to see an underdog win and like it does you get the feeling at some point you know the Mariners will break through like there's just got to be odds that that happens and it just makes it sweeter um you know when you do finally get that success and especially for the people you know at least I've seen some Mariners success in my lifetime but for people that have you know are 16 15 like grown up now and if they get into it like that's the thing that can just spark you know everything so, so i think it's cool for the nats and it's cool to see like how the city there rallies around it and you know i think that that's also like a a thing that seattle fans can take hope into i mean we saw it with the seahawks too and as well so like it can happen and it's one of those things that when it does it's it's really cool to see it was cool to see everyone rooting for the nationals i was rooting for the nationals just as the underdog and you know that's something where you should be happy for them. Like it's cool. And sure. The Mariners are alone now, but at some point it's got to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. I was definitely inspired and, you know, it was hard not to start to daydream about what that would look like in Seattle eventually. But there was, I mean, also part of me that was, that kind of got mad about it because it Mm -hmm. just reminded you that the Mariners haven't been able to be lucky. Like, I know that, you know, luck is probably a dumb thing to be chasing. Like, you would obviously rather just be talented than lucky. But the Nats did have some, like, you know, pretty just wild, like, hard-to-explain stuff that we see basically every October in baseball. Like, something that isn't, you know, technically supposed to happen does happen. And 
it's truly baffling that none of those things have gone the Mariners' way. Like, even with the good fortune that they've had, like, you know, getting Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz, that, you know, we never, ever got high-profile free agents. Or like, oh, we developed James Paxton. He looks pretty good. He throws a no-hitter, and then he's gone. Like, it's always <laughs> like, you know, we have one thing, and then it's immediately canceled out by three other bad things. And I'm just – there's no way to really quantify it or explain it, but you are, like, mm-hmm. you know, starting to – beat your head against the wall wondering when will it be us and you wonder too you like you see the nets when you you the thing that i go to now is like well how far away are the mariners like baseball is not usually an overnight you know you pop up and great and the mariners have obviously for good reason at this point like burned it to the ground taking it down to the studs and like we're going to rebuild and you just look at you know the world series and that's and, and you're like how how far are the Mariners from that how how much is it going to take to get there and that's the part that can get kind of like <clears throat> it, the, the doubt creeps in and where you're like oh geez that's going to be you know a long road to get there but yeah I don't it's it's a really hard spot to be in <laughs> that's true baseball rebuilds are so time consuming and mm-hmm. it's very uh I mean it's a dark thought for sure but it is pretty harrowing to think like okay even if you know this current prospect wave does come up like if they bust or whatever word you want to use if they don't meet mm-hmm. expectations then you have to start all over again and find a whole new wave of prospects and that takes like five years normally so it's like you put so much stock into your like prospect core and we saw it with like the the Ackley Montero Justin Smoke group like that didn't work at mm-hmm. all and you see like we're still kind of recovering from that in a way so you really just have to know what you're doing I guess is the is the big takeaway like you should obviously have prospects that you feel good about but also like know that it's not always going to go according to plan and you would kind of need a a backup I would hope like I don't want the Mariners to do the thing where it's like we're not going to chase any free agents or make any trades because these Mm -hmm. are our guys like well what if your guys aren't actually what they're made out to be then you should have gone after some of these free agents just to like fill out the roster or like kind of you see it in other sports more where it's like, you know, I think of the Sixers signing J.J. Redick. It's kind of a specific example. But, like, mm-hmm. at some point you need, like, an adult in the room or, like, a veteran to help with your rebuild and, like, kind of get it over the hump. You can't do it all with, you know, five rookies, basically. Like, you're going <laughs> to want someone who knows what they're doing, who has the big game experience. And that's why I'm kind of interested to see how the Mariners approach free agency these next couple of years because mm-hmm. – you would think that if they are actually trying to compete with these young kids that they're going to need, you know, the fourth starter or, you know, a Howie Kendrick type, like utility pinch hitter who can actually do things in big moments. So that's something that I've definitely thought about. And I'm wondering what the Mariners plan is beyond just have prospects be good in future. You know, this is why it's so complicated too, especially with baseball. And, you know, you make the analogy to any other sports you can, like, and this is where the drafting comes in too you as an organization in baseball like yeah you get a bunch of shots in the draft and all that but like you're going to draft these players they're going to disappear and you're going to hope that they develop and development is always you know it's partially a science but it's also a big roll of dice whether someone develops over a couple years and there isn't that like you can turn over a roster in football and be good the next year you can turn over a roster in basketball and be good or assemble a super team over a summer and be good baseball you have to have a lot of faith in a lot of people in the organization who have hands and eyes on all these players as they go 
that it's going to work out. And then you also have to do at the same time. And I think this is the point that you brought up here is like the tough part of, of doing this is like, they're going to have to temperature gauge how these things are coming each year. And then also figure out how to fill in the rest of the roster, both short and long-term. And, you know, it's an interesting thing to see the balance where like, you need to have a somewhat Kate in this past year. You need to have a, a, you need to field a team. That's basically the goal. Just have a baseball team. But you're also worried about development, getting some of these players, these young players like big league time and also not blocking them with people at their positions and being able to like, you know, fill them in with success. And that's a tough job. So there's so many variables that have to go right for it to work with things as bad as they are that you really have to have a lot of faith that, you know, you have the right pieces in place organizationally to end up creating this team, this vision that comes to fruition in three, four years. Because like you said, if you don't, you're going to start all over again. And now you wasted what a decade probably. So, yeah, here's a question for you then. Do you Mm -hmm. trust the Mariners to actually do this? Like does anything that they've shown, like lead you to believe that they can actually do all the things that they're talking about? I, I, I appreciate that they have finally been like, we are declaring bankruptcy. (laughs) And they're just like, you know, I think that it was long overdue where you can in any sport, like be a middling team and you're just stuck there. Like you're, you're bad. You're not playoff good, but you're also not like moving anywhere and you're just kind of stuck in neutral downhill. And so actually having a, a management group and ownership that's like, we are declaring baseball bankruptcy is refreshing in some ways and you know also like coming out and saying we have this plan this is what we are going to do and being very clear and specific about it is something i appreciate so like that gives me some hope instead of just trying to blow sunshine and you know we're going to compete for a title this year um i think that it's actually good that they're finally like yeah we're bad and we're going to be bad but this is the plan these are the things to pay attention to and if you know, the team is, is in what we're seeing, like starts to match eyeballs like that, that gives you some hope and at least some faith in management. But like, there's not a ton to go on right now, other than I think the move of saying we're so bad that we have to just burn it down and we're going to be fully transparent about it with fans that we're just going to be awful um, is a good start. Yeah, I agree. My, my only real concern in terms of like, personnel and logistics is just I this is a personal opinion I just Mm. I really don't trust Scott service all that much like (laughs) when you think of the the good Mariners teams you have Lou Pinella who like Mm -hmm. you know I don't know what he was like as a baseball guy like what his chops were in terms of you know decision making and all that like I was a kid I wasn't really agonizing over his lineup construction or whatever but the thing about Lou Pinella obviously was that he was just so fiery and he would inspire confidence Mm -hmm. and passion and I'm just not totally sure that Scott service inspires much of anything and obviously I'm not there I could be wrong but Mm -hmm. I don't know I feel like when you look at a lot of these baseball teams too that have gone from you know worst to first or you know have at least had you know like even the Nationals like Davey Martinez was like a very specific type of manager who like seems like he really struck a chord with his players and like I said maybe Scott service is doing that but just his very like calm sort of ah shucks demeanor to me as a fan isn't really doing a whole lot for me. And I don't know, you don't have to like weigh in or, you know, talk shit about Scott service, but <laughs> just while we're on the topic, that was something that I was just thinking about as I've watched him manage this team now for like five years or whatever it is. 
So, like, a question back to you, though, is does it matter right now if, like, if you know you're going to be bad this past year and this coming year and probably the year after that, maybe, like, do you want to use your Lou Piniella type manager to try to ride that out or squeeze whatever out of that? Or do you let the, like, the fine Scott service, like, to just, you know, you're a, you're a manager, you're here, you are kind of guiding the team through this rough patch, but we have no expectations they're going to be bad. Like, and if the Mariners have a plan and they're talking about lining up in certain years, do you let him ride it out for now and then bring in a newer manager to kind of change the culture towards the end? Or do you just kind of roll with it? Well, yeah, it matters in the way of like, if they do want Scott service to be the the manager who brings the Mariners back to the playoffs, like then he mm-hmm. has to start building those relationships. I think more than anything mm-hmm. else, because I mean, with baseball, like it's, you're playing 162 games. Like obviously you wouldn't want a micromanager in terms of like baseball decisions, but you want someone who like you can sort of, I don't know, like vibe with for lack of a better term. <laughs> or, like if you're a young player who's like, you know, supposed to be part of the the next you know good team you're going to want to have a manager who you think can get you there so mm-hmm. i think that's the part that matters is if you know you're you're justin duns you're justice sheffield the people who are supposed to be part of the next good mariners team if they are meshing with scott service then i think everything is great if they're mm-hmm. you know starting to think like oh look at these other managers look at the way they do things like wouldn't it be nice to have one of these like you know 40 year old ex-players like a craig council or aaron boone then I think you have problems. But as long as he has the buy-in, and this is true of really any sport, then I think we're golden. But just me from a person who's, you know, on my couch and, you know, thinking somewhat critically about the Mariners, I just don't see how, if you're a 22-year-old kid, how you don't look around the league and think there are other managers who are at least a little more fun or seem like they care more. And again, this could be totally off base, but it's just the way Scott Service carries himself where... I feel like if I was a 22-year-old trying to get excited about the Seattle Mariners and I saw this guy who's as vanilla as they come, I just don't know if it would have the desired effect that the Mariners are looking for. So I think you also hit on a good thing there where it it, it may not matter how Scott Service vibes at the big league club now as long as he is establishing the right relationships with the young players. And it's a really weird situation to be in where it's like you're managing for the future and maybe even players that aren't here with the big league club at the moment, while also just kind of like making sure that nothing blows up with the big league club and that everyone gets along. And that also may be a spot where it's fine to be just kind of like not fiery, not rocking the boat too much, but like I get the feeling that um, Scott service is having to walk an interesting balance right now between players who are here, but aren't really part of the future and players who are part of the future that aren't here yet. And, you know, you, you may really start to see a little bit more as the plan comes into place. But also, to your point earlier, um, if it's not the right match and you wait three, four years for it to pay off, then you're in trouble. Totally. And again, like this goes back to the conversation about luck. Like finding a coach is a little luck based just in terms of timing because you have, you know, like if you're looking for coaches during an offseason you're limited to the ones who are available that offseason especially if you're the Mariners where it's like seems like it'd be very hard for the Mariners to hire someone away from a job they already have you know like no one's gonna leave mm-hmm. a manager's job to then come manage the Mariners so I think I mean I don't remember who else was available the offseason that the Mariners 
Scott Scott service, but I think he's fine. Like you said, like he's not someone that I would fire on the spot or anything. I just do start to worry about if he has that sort of ability to flip the switch to use kind of a cliche where it's like, okay, now like we're good. We're trying to actually do something that's, you know, that matters. That is big league based and big league based only. Like you don't have to manage the egos of the minor league kids who are trying to, you know, earn their spot. We're just winning games. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like with Scott service at the helm basically just because we've never seen it before. Like, we've seen him have a roster of, like, established big league players from, you know, 2016, 2018 or whatever when they were trying to make it. But now to have that complete shift of putting so much of the the well-being of the organization in his hand and having him sort of incubate all these kids, it does, does give me a little bit of pause. But we'll see. I mean, all you can do is just wait and see. So hopefully we're not having this conversation in – three years like is scott service the guy like i hope we'll just know at some point <laughs> that's also a good problem to have though if you're worried about the manager that means a lot of things have panned out and the manager is going to be um a bigger factor than just like kind of just keeping the team alive and you know playing game to game so that's a good problem to think about yeah that's true i am kind of excited to have different problems and also that's why i'm excited <laughs> for the hockey team to come to seattle so yeah like, it's going to be so low stakes and you can just like i'm excited to be mad about like the seattle hockey team's line combinations for no reason just because that's all there is to be mad about whereas with the mariners it seems like much bigger you know like are they are they ever gonna do it like the questions carry much more weight when you have 18 years of missing the playoffs yeah it really does and it's like one of those things where you know you mentioned the browns earlier too like it does start to weigh on you where like it's just how bad is this going to be for how long and like it really is to the point now where it's like a skill that you're this bad it's hard to do over this sustained period. And, you know, I wonder if that does just weigh on you and it, it feels like it just kind of weighs on everyone. Where it's like, do you really, is this ever going to get better though? Yeah. I think it's only natural to start to entertain those thoughts, um, which leads me to kind of our final question. We can end on this. This is sort mm-hmm. of the, the ethos of the whole podcast. Um, what is it that brings you back to the Mariners? Like, is it guilt essentially where you're like, I have to just keep doing this because this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, at a certain point, it sort of transcends entertainment or even fandom, and it's just, like, a thing that you're... I don't want to say obligated, but it's close to that, where you're just doing it because you feel like you kind of have to. So, for you, what is the main thing that keeps you interested in the Seattle Mariners? Or, I guess, another way to frame it would be, like, what would be your definition of, like, a good Mariners outcome? Is it just making the playoffs? Is it making the World Series, winning the World Series? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that, that keeps you like coming back to the Mariners. So I think it, it, for me, it's less about on-field success, honestly. And this is like the cliched answer um, in some ways, but like it really is a lot about the community, whether it's online community or otherwise, like it is, you can still find fun in it with the people around you, even if the team's bad. And so that could be, you know, BSing about the, the, the Mariners with neighbors or people who are around you day to day or, messing around on Twitter or online or on the site. And like the thing that actually does legitimately, you know, keep me and I think others coming back is not even necessarily the team or the games, but it's the people around it, um, which can make even a bad team entertaining. Um, and I think for the Mariners itself, like if you're, if you're thinking about the team as a team, it's like the potential and the hope is what, you know, when they're this bad, it's what keeps me, you know, paying attention to games and, and tuning in at times and checking in on things. But the 
going through all the bad, it really is the people in the community around it um, that, that still make the team entertaining, whether it's people that work for the team or fans or otherwise, like it's still a cool community thing. And that doesn't go away even when the team's bad. Yeah, the real World Series is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> there we go. That's the measure of success. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Brian, for doing this. Um, for anyone listening who wants to hear more of Brian or, you know, get a, a peek Why would you brain, want that? <laughs> <laughs> you can find Brian on Twitter at Brian M. Floyd. Uh, I am at M. Robertson 22 uh, before you go, is there anything you would like to plug? Any final things to get off your chest? Any wild predictions about the Mariners? The floor is yours. Uh, subscribe to Banner Society or visit bannersociety.com. Um, we're on social platforms everywhere else. So that's our college football, if you like college football. And uh, what is a wild prediction for the Mariners? I think it'll work. World Series in five years. Within five years. That's pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's not like a wild prediction really, but like, look we got to buy into something and we, we were presented with a plan at least somewhat of a timeline. So screw it. We'll say it works. Totally. And you have to sort of like speak it into existence at a certain point. Like no one thought the Seahawks would win the Super Bowl until they won the Super Bowl. And now it's the expectation. So you just need the Mariners to figure out how to, how to do that. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. It'll work. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again, Brian. We really appreciate it. Um, For all the listeners, feel free to say nice things about us on the internet, Uh, like and subscribe and rate us on iTunes and all that. And uh, until next time, this has been the Lookout Landing podcast uh, talking about why we are Mariners fans, despite millions and millions of reasons not to. Thank you and goodbye. While we're on the subject, could we change the subject now? I was knocking on your ears, don't be you, we were always out. Looking towards the future, we were begging for the past. Well, we know we had the good things, but those never seemed to last. Oh, please just last.